Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlyle. My usual co-host, Rachel Santizo, is off today. We will introduce the, our guest, Jared. Uh, can I use your last name? Oh, absolutely. Kendall. Uh, in in just a minute, uh, but we want to thank everyone. We are one of the most watched and listened to podcasts uh, dealing with addiction and recovery anywhere. And we were t- checking analytics uh, before uh, before we started recording this. And and just in Salt Lake alone, we have fifteen hundred regular active users, which is quite a bit for a podcast dealing with addiction and recovery. But we have people all over the world. We have several people in Germany, uh, wow. several in how many did you say in Ukraine? Five, five people in Ukraine. <laughs> and we have a couple of people in Russia, awesome. Brussels, Belgium, uh, it, and and in the U.S. next to Salt Lake City. The last week. There was a, we had the most listeners or viewers in a place called Boardman, and we couldn't figure out, I grew up in Ohio, and and Boardman, Ohio is outside Youngstown, but Matt uh, looked it up and and said there's also a Boardman, Oregon. So we don't know which Boardman it is, but hello, Boardman, thank you very much. So my guest today is Jared Kendall. Uh, you're a prime example. Is uh, if you, at first you don't succeed, try again. <laughs> aren't again, you? Right? And I mean, again, years and later. <laughs> yeah. So tell yes. us, because when I first met you, you had graduated from Odyssey House, and again, this podcast is not to push Odyssey House. It's just we have access to people in Odyssey House, so right. we, so we talk to them. So you had graduated. Tell me, let's maybe a brief synopsis of your life and using and stuff like that. Um, I started when I was 17 years old, um, and it's been an off and on battle throughout my life. At times, I thought I was able to control it. Um, I've had years of sobriety as well between getting married and having children, um, and then that marriage not working out. I wanted to move to Utah that my partner didn't want to, so she stayed in California, and then I came here, and I had some traumatic things uh, happened to me in my life that um, made me want to give up. So um, I, at that point, my intrinsic value, so to speak, just plummeted, and um, and my self worth was in the tank. And so I went out and started using drugs, and um, it uh, just destroyed my life. And you've and, had quite a number of run-ins with the criminal justice system. <laughs> yes, um, I have a lengthy. Um, uh, criminal record. I have 57 bookings in Salt Lake County Jail between the old Metro Jail and a new one. 57? 57. Whoa. I'm only, I'm 52 years old, so I have more than what years I have alive. Wow. So... They must um, know you at the jail. Yes, they know me. Hi, Jared. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> yes. So even the captain there, um, this last time I was in, uh, I was a head baker there in the in the kitchen, and the, the, ca- the captain came through, um, and he came on came uh, to work as a police officer in the jail the same year that I got my first booking in, wow. in 1992, in Old Metro Jail. And I'm like, wow, you made it up to captain. He says, well, I see you make it up to Baker. <laughs> 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 and so, um, not the, not the, that's not a bragging thing, but it's, I try to make light of the whole situation. Yeah. And it's just another learning lesson for me. Um, 
I, I do hold two bachelor's degrees. I got a bachelor's degree in architectural technologies, construction management specialization. I got a bachelor's degree, bachelor's degree in mechanical drafting. Uh, I've been the fastest up-and-coming junior engineer at one of the places I worked at where I designed 4 million gallon storage tanks for governments around the world. So um, I'm educated. I just, um, but just because I'm educated, like I was telling my mom and dad, it doesn't make me smart. It just makes me educated because I'm still fallible. I'm still a human being. So I still get into my emotions at times. And so when I caught my second wife uh, cheating, I fell off the wagon again after years of sobriety and doing good. And so, um, yeah, I struggle with it every I mean, because you're, you're eminently qualified to get a good job. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And, 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 and so there's no need to numb yourself or stay high. No. Uh, but you're talking about human fallacy. Uh, you know, it's my observation. One of the things we learn in treatment is what you went through, your wife cheating on you, deaths in the family, that kind of stuff. Yes. Other people deal with that without getting high. Yeah. Right? I didn't have those skills. So this last time, I thought I had it. I graduated in 2018 from Odyssey House, and I started creating JFR, Jump for Recovery. I'm the founding father for that, and I wanted to give back to my community. Jump so for recovery. Jump for recovery. Would you explain that? We're all skydivers. So what I do is, or what we do, is we go out and we find charitable organizations like Ronald McDonald House or um, Cancer Research for the Huntsman Center or Women's and Children's Battered Centers. And from there, we go to them and say, we want to raise money for you. And then we go find other institutions that'll sponsor us. And they'll give us, say, a dollar a foot or a penny a foot. And we go up to 13,500 feet when we jump. And we jump from there. Um, so we're collecting basically, at, if it's a penny a foot, it's $13.50. If it's from a major corporation where they're more generous, where they're giving us a dollar a foot, it's $13,500 per foot or for the whole jump. So we combine all that and we're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for these charities and we present these things to them. So to have a bunch of skydivers jumping for your cause is an exhilarating, so exhilarating um, event. It's a life memory that we're creating. And um, is it, do you do it out in Erda? Yes, Erda, okay. Airport 3, yeah. uh, out of Erda. That's was, where I did mine. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it because I, the way I describe it to people who haven't done it is when you, Jump out! I did a tandem jump, obviously sure. with somebody strapped to my back. But when when you go out of the plane, you are plummeting at a really <laughs> high rate of speed. But it perceptually, it seemed to me like I was flying straight out that way, sure. right? Yeah, which is absolutely. a and it's the only time you can get the feeling of flying <laughs> as a human being, right? Absolutely. And I was having so much fun. They had a signal. He said, "He said when I do this in front of your goggles." pull the ripcord. And I was having so much fun, I said, screw it, I'm not pulling the ripcord. So, which, you know, was stupid. Thank goodness he, he did. You know, but, so these are all people in recovery that yeah. are jumping? So, um, but we, I, I encourage anybody who wants to come out and be supportive of us, they come out there as we get ready to do a, a new jump off either this year or probably springtime because it gets cold up there. <laughs> yeah. But to, to add to what you were saying, when you jump out of that plane, you're falling at 120 miles an hour. Is that is, what it is? It's terminal But it velocity. doesn't seem like that. And the reason it doesn't seem like that is because there's nothing going by you to give you any sense of falling. 
If you were in, it's oh. like being a, in a car that's really low to the ground, and it seems like you're going really fast because the ground's really close to you. Right. But if you're in a really big truck, you could be going the same miles per hour, and it doesn't seem like much. And so I describe it like this. When you're falling to the earth at 120 miles an hour, which is terminal velocity, um, it's just like sticking your head out the window of a truck or a car when you're going 100 miles an hour down the freeway. And you don't look at the mountains way off in the distance and go, oh, my gosh, we're going to hit the mountains, and you pull over and stop. Right. It doesn't happen. The, the scenery is so far away from you that you have no sense of falling, nothing going by you. So now you just got to find your balance and right. learn how to fly. And, and it's just it's so exhilarating. And for in recovery, I relate, relate it like this. There's some things that you can't control in life. And at that point, once you've jumped out of the plane, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing you can do about stopping that except for going through with the whole procedure. So just like um, – but as you do free fall and you're traveling at that 120 miles an hour, at some point you're going to pull the chute yeah. and slow your life down. And when you slow your life down – now you learn that you can go left and you can go right, right. and you can toggle left, toggle right. Now you got to pick out where you're going to land. Are you going to land way out in the Great Salt Lake where you have to do, make all this effort to swim back to shore into safety? Do you land in a tree where somebody else is going to have to save you and you got to wait around for somebody else? Or do you not just pay attention to where you're landing, you hit a power line, and you're dead for all your efforts and the experience? But if That's you a could good pick, comparison. But if you could pick where you're going to land and you get both feet on the ground, you'll have done the one thing that 99% of the rest of the world has on their bucket list and that wants to do. But 99% of the world will never do. So you've created a memorable moment that surpasses putting a needle in your arm, pipe in your mouth, any drug that you can think of. We've just went over and above beyond anything you'll ever get there. And if you're chase, like most of us who are chasing that high, this is a high that you can chase that's legal. And that won't kill you for the most part. <laughs> for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, actually, so, it's a relatively safe, safe endeavor. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is safer to jump out of the plane than it is to drive down the freeway. They say because there's actually two onboard computers. If you didn't know, one to your primary chute, one to your secondary chute. When you hit a certain altitude, that it, it pull, even if you jumped out of the plane and fell and got knocked out right off the bat, at a certain altitude, your primary chute's going to pull. I didn't know that. Say if it got all tangled up, as you continue to fall. If you don't slow down, that second, that first computer cuts your first chute off and ejects it completely. And as soon as that first parachute is ejected, that second onboard computer uh, kicks in, and then it, at a certain altitude, it kicks in your secondary wow. chute. So you could pass out completely and still land on the ground safely. I had no idea. Yeah, so it's safer to drive down or jump out of a plane than drive down the freeway. Huh. And, and, and using the analogy, comparing it to... A recovery is yeah. pretty interesting. So yeah. why didn't it work for you? It did. And it did work for me. And so for me, this last time around, one of the things I didn't learn and didn't pick up the first couple times I went through different programs and stuff like this is grief and loss. I was still young enough in my addiction and in my life that the people I was around and surrounded by, um, I hadn't had anybody. I hadn't lost anybody. So this time around, I had a handful of people all pass away within about 30 days. And it was too much. I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I wanted to take a time out from life. And so I went and used, wanting to think it was going to be a weekend thing. I can just get away from everybody. And it didn't. I woke up six months later in the county jail. Wow. So, and yeah, dumbfounded. I wanted to give up. I was here running JFR. Uh, Saul Palace is one of my main contributors. Um, and dealing with them on a daily basis and 
thinking how disappointing it's going to be. JFR is registered with the drug court as well, along with FTR, YPR, AWS, which is Addicted We Stand, and then we got JFR, Jump for Recovery. So they were calling us the four pillars of the community, and for me to be one of those pillars was just really cool, and for me to have let everybody down, and I had to deal with that, and that guilt and shame kept me from asking for help. And it showed me that... I need to be more humble and that just because you think you got everything together doesn't mean that you can't reach out and ask for help. So you did and reach so out and you're, and you're back and at Odyssey. Right. And when I reached out for help, it was to drug court. And so Judge Skanky, I know him on a one-on-one basis, and I had to be put in Judge Shaughnessy's courtroom just because I have a, a familiar, uh, I'm, I'm registered with drug court to sign off community service and everything else through JFR. And so they put me in Judge Shaughnessy's courtroom. So that's who I, I, I go to right now. You got to realize so. that some people watching don't <laughs> understand all the letters you just used. So oh. JFR is Jump for Recovery. Recovery, yes. YPR is Young People in Recovery. And FTR is Fitness to Recovery, where Ian is the founding father, which you also have Rachel, right. Right. is one of the founding ladies, I guess you would right. call her. Um, and then AWS is a Addicted We Stand, which is nationwide. From my last understanding, they had over like 37,000 members. Okay. So People are always throwing out these letters. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, no. That's fine. So, so, so you're back in Odyssey. I'm back in Odyssey. And I would presume, because you, you graduated back in... 2018. 2018. So you know all the terminology and all the rules <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So I would yes. presume you're... You going through it quickly now? Or? Yes, I, I graduated from the CATS. I went back into the CATS program. The CATS program is the Odyssey House that's in the jail. So I graduated there as the house soup, head of, uh, the top of um, leadership. And then I came out here to the Lighthouse, and I got the fast track because I know the program so well. So right now I'm in my transition, getting ready to leave. And I joined a program called JETS, which is a junior executive in training. And um, I'm going to be. I'm also going to be on the uh, peer advisory board for USARA, um, and with them, uh, through them, I'll be getting my CPSS and going on to get my Sud C to become a therapist. So my life entails. I know I said I had 57 bookings. I also have 19 years in prison, off and on, in installment plans over the last 35 years. So with my life experience, coupled with a bunch of good education as far as therapy goes. Um, I'm going to turn my life around to be a counselor and try to give back to the community as well, if not only through JFR, but also through being a therapist on a one-to-one basis. Good for you. So. What, uh, uh, what, what have you learned this time around in Odyssey should you run into the same things that tripped you up this last time, like a bunch of people die that you know and love. Right. Okay. How are you? How do you handle that? This time, one one step at a time, one day at a time, and it's okay to ask for help. So I could call you. I could call my sponsor. I could call my my support system that I'm creating now. Is uh, aware of my situation where grief and loss was my my issue, and as I get older, I'm finding that I'm going to lose more and more people in my life. Sure. Sure. And so that's going to not, it's not going to become a rarity. It's going to become a normality. And so I need to be ready for that. So knowing that those things are going to be coming at me, lets me be able to prepare this time uh, for that, the eventuality of that happening. So I, I got my, my parents, I could still go to go to wonderful parents that support me in everything I do. Um, and 
Then I got my regular support system from Odyssey House. Um, uh, I got drug court, great people um, that are supporting me, and I could call at any time. And so, and through JFR as well, um, I will make it a, a point for myself personally to, to keep my support system close to me sure. so that I can reach out to them at any time. So people, people don't understand, an awful lot of the people I know who, and, and you're a good example of this, a lot of people I know who relapsed uh, stopped reaching out. The people who seem to have significant and long-term recovery are involved in the recovery community in some way. It could be sober softball, could yep. be sober golf, sober bowling. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's sober everything if you, if you want to get involved. Right. And really, going through USARA is is one of the one of the ways to do that because they're hooked up to everybody in the recovery community. Yep. Uh, but but and and what you did, you didn't reach out. I didn't. You, you checked out. I exactly. Yeah. Yep. I checked out and. Um, all I can do is instead of beating myself to death over it, I just got to learn from it yeah. and move forward. Because they, they teach, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and, and one of the things um, that, that, that I've been ingrained with is the fact that if you're tempted to drink before you go, before you go out and have that drink, because your brain, your alcoholic brain, which is always going to be with me, right. uh, is telling me it's okay to have a drink. Don't worry about it. But but they, <laughs> but the the claim is, and it works, is if you call somebody else in recovery, or or go to somebody's house in recovery, and just have a talk, and even something as little as is going out of your house and walking around the block, that perhaps that trigger to use will go away. And yeah. it does. And the one I use is a, what's called a DBT skill, um, and it's called STOP. And if you use it as an acronym, S-T-O-P, it's STOP, think, observe, and proceed. So anytime I start getting rattled or a- anxious, um, I use this STOP acronym, and I stop, kick back, think about what I'm doing, I observe what's going on around me, and then I perceive. It's like um, the old adage of um, when there's a storm brewing, it's not time to paint the barn. (laughs) (laughs) Your barn's going to look really bad. I'm telling you, ladders, paint all over. But if you wait till the storm brew, give yourself permission to feel those feelings, but don't give yourself permission to act out on them. And you just wait till the storm goes by and then pull out the paintbrush and the ladder, your barn's going to look a lot better. So with that adage... um, you move forward in life in a lot healthier of a situation and you make it a lot safer for yourself. I always, I always play the tape, and my tape is mm. because I think the human brain tries to get rid of negative stuff and remember the happy stuff. I think it just sort of happens naturally. And when I think back to my drinking days, I think to these wild parties or these beautiful women I picked up or whatever. <laughs> but but I don't think back to the days where I'd wake up in the morning with my hand shaking nope. and, I, and I'd have to drink three or four <laughs> beers to be able to shave and, and being depressed all the time and feeling like crap in the morning. Nope. And, you know, and so I always play that tape and then I look at where my life is now and I go... I'm a lot happier, way you know, happier. and I, I I like myself, love myself now, and I didn't like myself before, mm. and I'm not depressed. I mean, you got to look at all those things, you know. That's true, very true. Um, and 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 it's and, and people who don't understand addiction is it's it's a, a complicated lifelong disease. Yes, 
you know, I had a friend who's a lawyer, a brilliant lawyer, and he'd see me, I'd live in a condo project, and, and he'd see me going to meetings at night, and a couple of years down the road, he'd, it, I ran into him going to a meeting, and he said, where are you off to? And I said, to a meeting, and he, he said, you still do that? <laughs> and he said, he said, how long has it been since you drank? And I said, oh, a couple of years. He said, well, then you're cured. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you're never cured. You know? Never cured. There's no top to the mountain. It's just about how steep the mountain is going to be for you today. Am I going to make right choices and make this mountain only this steep? Or am I going to make bad choices where it's going to be an uphill climb all day? But you never reach the top of the mountain. So you just got to work on it every day. Do you... So, uh, I know this is a bad thing to ask of somebody because you do things one day at a time, but do you think you can stay in recovery the rest of your life now when you get out? Sure, sure. We always have that hope. I think everybody has that hope that everything's going to go as smooth as it can go for you in your life. Um, And you just, for me, it's those milestones in my life that are going to make sure that I, as long as I accomplish them and I get to those, those little goals, that I continue having my intrinsic value up high enough that I think I'm worth it. So we all know we can be our own best friend or our own worst enemy, but when you learn that you can be your own best friend, things change. All of a sudden, I don't have to be in a codependency relationship. I don't have to be out there seeking LAR, which is love, approval, and respect. I don't have to be out there doing all that stuff. I'm good with me. I can be alone. I'm good. I'm a good friend to myself. I'm going to stand up for myself, and I'm going to show up for myself. And all those horrible things, um, I try to leave behind. So, um, do you remember me telling you about like my little run through with through my life? I, my little story I tell is like um, I started off in drugs and gangs. Do I have time to tell this little one? Yeah. Uh, drugs and gangs and stuff like this, and I went to this county jail, um, county jails off and on for years as a revol- revolving door. Is saying them telling me never want to get a hard number, so I never went out to prison. So I stayed in these county jails for years and years, and then I finally went out to prison. When I got out, finally got out to prison, I was like, man, if I'd have known it was like this out here in prison, I'd have came out here and had me sitting out here a long time ago because I get better food, weight yard, um, programs, and this, that, and the other. And then I got out, and of course I joined a gang, and so then I was a little bit tougher, smarter, a little wiser, and um, then I messed up again, and they sent me out to a FCI, a federal correctional institution. And there, when I got out there, I was like, man, if I didn't know it was like out, like this out here, I would have robbed me a bank and kept doing my time out here because you got better food, you got a paid job, more programs. It was a lot nicer. It was like a college campus. And then um, I got out. I was, I'd gone to the Fed, so now I had a little bit more street credit, a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser. And then I got out again and messed up again, and they sent me out to United States Penitentiary. When I got out there, I was like, man, if I didn't know it was like this, I'd have never started this in the first place. It was no badge of honor. It didn't make me any smarter or wiser, and I survived. And everything I learned to survive in the United States Penitentiary, I learned from my mom. Oh, you don't have nothing nice to say. Keep your mouth shut. Clean up after yourself. Respect others. Treat others as you want to be treated. All those I's being dotted and those T's being crossed that my mom taught me is the way I survived. And I was able to retire with honors from my gang so I don't have to live that life no more. They let me respectfully back away so I can raise my boys, not behind the wall. So, which is rare to rare. say, okay, leave the gang. Right. And so I lived a life of say what you mean and mean what you say. And if it wasn't for my mom, I'd probably still be a gang member and in and out of prison and not giving a fuck, period. But I do. 
and um, I thank my mom and dad for the upbringings, and I try to counsel them to let them know that they didn't go wrong with me, even though I turned out to be a knucklehead. But they, <laughs> they, they gave me the basis so that when I did make mistakes in life, I knew where to come back to, and now I'm back. Speaking of survival, uh, you shared a story with me when I met with you earlier uh, about that you should be dead now. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is, this is incredible. Um, so Can you do it in a couple minutes? Yes. Okay. Um, a year ago, I was electrocuted. I had 17,000 volts go through my body. And they have no idea why I'm alive. I blew me all the way across the 20-foot room. It blinded me for four days um, and burned all the hair off my face, melted five layers of clothes on my body. Blistered the hole inside of my mouth and my throat. Um, I crawled out to the asphalt and asked my phone to call home. It was the only way I was able to get help at that point. Uh, the explosion was so powerful that it blew the whole power box one story up and one story down. And this is a big power box. Big, huge power box that's you know about this wide, as tall as this roof, and twenty over twenty feet long. And the explosion was just so powerful that it rocked a seven-story building. Uh, I was working under the table. So I had no recourse as far as insurance goes or anything else like that. So I was kind of on my own. Uh, when my family showed up to pick me up off the asphalt, they were like, you're burnt, you're messed up, you look like Freddy Cougar, we need to get to your hospital, you could have something burnt on the inside of you, and you're probably going to die. And so I refused to go to the hospital. I went home to die. Because of COVID, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be home around my people I love. Because you knew if you went to the hospital, nobody could visit you. Right. Oh, they'd only allow one person right. in. And so I went home to die. And, I, and being an ex-firefighter, um, I got sat down. And I sat myself in front of an air conditioning unit, covered myself with coconut oil. They gave me ice-cold broth to drink and gave me a gabapentin 800, and it knocked me out. And then my family would meticulously sit there with Q-tips and tweezers and picked all the burnt hair out and scrubbed me clean and cleaned underneath my eyes uh, called the emergency room. They said, keep my eyes covered. Eyeballs are your fastest healing organ on your body. So keep those covered for four or five days, and hopefully you'll be able to see when you pull those off. If you can't, then we need to come in. You need to come in so we can have the eyeballs removed So because they can atrophy in your head, and that being close, being that close to your brain, it can kill you. So after four or five days, I pulled the, the blindfold off, and I could see. Uh, my eyesight's really messed up, but I can see. Um... My family did such a well job and with the coconut oil sitting in front of that air conditioning unit for those four or five days that I got minimal scarring. So when I go, I have some in my face and discoloration. When I go out in the sun and start getting a tan, only certain parts of my body will get tan. The electricity went in one arm and out the other. What saved me was I was standing on a one-inch foam mat, they say. And so the electricity went through me as it arced through and didn't go through me this way. If you've been on the ground... Way. If I, my feet would have been on the ground, it would have blown off both arms and a leg, at least. So, and that's part of the reason why I'm in a wheelchair half the day is because my legs have kind of given out. I did some damage somewhere through me, and it's finally catching up to me. So, but uh, I'm still a lucky sp- man. I had, I, 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 you know, when I when I relapse, also part of that process is not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I believe in my higher power, and uh, I believe in God. I'm a God fearing man. And that being said, um, I stopped praying. When I stopped praying and I stopped going to church, then I end up relapsing. It really? kind of seems for me. Uh, I know the sure recipe for not going back to jail is if you go to church and you pray every day, and you go to church once a week, you'll never go back to jail. I guarantee it. 100%. Wow. For me. 
For you? For me. Doesn't work for everyone. Everybody, no. But for me, it does. Wait. And so I, I try to stay on my knees with, in prayer, and I, I try to uh, give back to my community and, and just take everything one day at a time. Because to me, I, I'm on borrowed time. This is a blessing. I was going to say, you, you should have been dead a long time ago. <laughs> long time either ago. because of drugs, gangs, or being electrocuted. electrocuted. A dangerous life. It's criminal living. It's, it's high-risk living, and it's part of our addiction. And, and, and the other thing, and I've asked, I've chaired several meetings, and, and I'll ask people this, or people in, in, our, in our program, uh, when you're in active addiction, are you happy? No, I'm surviving. Exactly. That's it. You know, and I, and I can relate. I, I never used heroin, but, uh, but I can relate saying, you know, at a party and you get drunk, you yuck, yuck, yuck. But <laughs> are you really having fun, you know, and are right. you happy? And no. No. no you know. No. I'm happy when I'm sitting with my family, when I'm going out and doing things, when I'm doing things for my community like skydiving and I giving back. Um, the, the looks on people's faces when you do um, – Random acts of kindness. Sure. It's just it's just like paying for the groceries for the old lady behind you in the grocery store. Um, just doing random acts of kindness for me and, and my group and for JFR is something that we strive to do. And we not only do hang, uh, uh, parachuting and skydiving, we also getting into parasailing, um, hang gliding, scuba diving, and squirrel suits. Wow. So hopefully sometime this year my goal is to get Red Bull as one of our sponsors. That'd be cool. So. <laughs> I think they have enough money. Yes, that would okay, be awesome. We're running out of time. If okay. people want to contact you about any of those activities you just described, where would they look? If you go onto Facebook, we're going to have that webpage open back up for Facebook. I'm going to try to get a, a web or um, yeah, just a website put together all for JFR. I don't know how to go about that yet. That's something I need to okay. look into. But for right now, if you look on Facebook and you put in JFR, within the next couple months, uh, you should be able to it'll take you a link to go there. Uh, also on YouTube, if you go to YouTube and you put Jared Kendall Skydiving, it's the first video that will come up, and I'm going to attach a link to that. It'll go to the Facebook page that will open up for our sober community. And just uh, for your information, Jared is J-A-R-E-D, and Kendall is K-E-N-D-A-L-L. That's correct. Right? Yes. have to take things slow because people at home might be writing. Thank right. you very much Thank for sharing so much. this half appreciate hour with you. us. I, I appreciate you as well, and good luck in the future. Hopefully you'll come jump with us one of these I, times. I'm thinking about it. Okay. So try to stay alive. Okay? <laughs> yes. All right. I'll try to stay alive. Thanks, Jared. And thank Thanks. you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals. Thank you.